volume two chapters three and four of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain three now half to the setting moon have gone and half to the rising day the dinner party is over the county families have retired to their several abodes they are dispersed like the soft summer mist which has melted from the moorland with the broadening light of the harvest moon madge viola and lady cheshunt are assembled in mrs penwin's dressing-room a long low room with a wide and deep bow window at one end and three other old-fashioned windows with broad cushioned seats therein a room made for lounging and pleasant idleness and half hours with the best authors every variety of the genus easy-chair is there chintz covered and blossoming with all the flowers of the garden as they only bloom upon chintz large gorgeous and unaffected by aphides or blight of any kind there are tables here and there gypsy tables loaded with new books and other trumpery there is a large duchesse dressing-table in one of the windows and an antique ebony wardrobe with richly carved doors in a convenient recess but baths and all the paraphernalia of the toilet are in a small chamber adjoining this large apartment being rather a morning-room or boudoir than dressing-room proper there are water-colour landscapes and little bits of genre on the walls by famous modern masters a portrait of churchill penwin in crayon hangs over the velvet-coloured mantelboard there are dwarf bookcases containing madge's own particular library the poets old and new scott bulwer dickens thackeray carlyle altogether the room has just those homely lovable characteristics which make rooms dear to their owners to-night the windows are all open to the soft summer air the day has been oppressively warm and the breath of night brings welcome refreshment to jaded humanity madge sits before her dressing-table slowly unclasping her jewels as she talks her maid has been dismissed mrs penwin being in no wise dependent on her abigail's help and the jewel-case with its dark velvet lining stands open on the wide marble slab lady cheshunt lies back in the deepest and softest of the easy-chairs fanning herself with a big black and gold fan a large and splendid figure in amber satin and hereditary rose-point lace which one of the queens of spain had presented to the dowager's mother when her husband was ambassador at madrid she looks like a picture by rubens large and fair and full of colour well my love all dinner-parties are more or less heavy but upon the whole your county people were better than i expected remarked the dowager with her authoritative air i have seen duller parties in the home counties your people seem to enjoy themselves and that is a point gained however dull their talk of the births marriages and deaths of their belongings might be to nous autres they have a placid belief that their conversation is entertaining which is really the next best thing to being really amusing in a word my dear madge i was not nearly so much bored as i expected to be those diamonds are positively lovely child where did you get them madge had just taken her necklace a string of large single stones from her neck and was laying it in its velvet nest they are heirlooms some of them at least she answered and came to churchill with the estate they had been locked up in an old tin cash-box at the county bank for a quarter of a century i believe and nobody seemed to know anything about them they were described in the old squire's will as sundry jewels in a tin box at the bank churchill had the stones reset and bought a good many more to complete the set well my dear they are worthy of a duchess i hope you are careful of them 
i don't think it is in madge's nature to be careful of anything now she is rich said viola she was thoughtful and saving enough when we lived with poor papa and when it was such a hard struggle to keep out of debt but now she has plenty of money she scatters it right and left and is perpetually enjoying the luxury of giving but i am not careless about my diamonds viola mills will come presently and carry off this box to the iron safe in the plate-room i never believed much in plate-rooms said lady cheshunt a plate-room with its iron door is a kind of invitation to burglars it tells them where the riches of the house are concentrated when i am in other people's houses i generally keep my jewel-case on my dressing-table but i take care to have it labelled gloves and that it looks as little like a jewellery-case as possible i wouldn't trust it in anybody's plate-room there child you are yawning i see in spite of your efforts to conceal the operation come viola your sister is tired after the mental strain she has undergone in pretending to be interested in all those people's innumerable relations the ladies kissed and parted with much affection and madge was left alone to sit by her dressing-table in a dreamy attitude forgetful of the lateness of the hour it was a sad thought which kept her musing there while the night deepened and the harvest moon sank lower in the placid sky she thought that all was not well with the husband of her love she could not forget that look and gesture of his when she had questioned him about his faith as a christian nothing fearing his answer to that solemn inquiry when she asked it that darkening brow those gloomy eyes turned upon her for a moment in anger or in pain had haunted her ever since not a christian her beloved her idol the dearer half of soul and heart and mind death assumed new terrors in the thought that in worlds beyond they too must be parted rather let us endure a mutual purgation she thought with a wish that was half a prayer let me bear half the burden of his sins he had gone to church with her he had assisted in the service with grave attention nay sometimes even with a touch of fervour but he had never taken the sacrament that had troubled her not a little but when she had ventured to speak to him upon the subject he had replied with the common argument i do not feel my faith strong enough to share in so exalted a mystery she had been content to accept this reason believing that time would strengthen his faith in holy things but now he had told her in hardest plainest words that he had no right to the name of christian she sat brooding upon this bitter thought for some time then rose changed her dinner-dress for a loose white muslin dressing-gown and went into her bedroom which opened out of the dressing-room she had not once thought of those earthly jewels in the open box on the table or even wondered why mills had not come to fetch them the truth being that distracted by the abnormal gaiety which prevailed below stairs where the servants regaled themselves with a festive supper after the patrician banquet miss mills had forgotten her duties so far as to become for the time being unconscious of the existence of mrs penwin's diamonds at this moment she was sleeping comfortably in her chamber in the upper story and the diamonds were left to their fate lady cheshunt was accustomed to late hours and considered midnight the most agreeable part of her day so on leaving madge's dressing-room she took viola to her own apartment at the other end of the corridor for another half-hour or so of friendly chat to which viola who was an inveterate gossip had not the slightest objection they talked over everybody's dress and appearance the discussion generally ending in a verdict of guy or fright they talked over churchill viola praising him enthusiastically lady cheshunt good-naturedly allowing that she had been mistaken in him 
he used to remind me of mephistopheles my dear said the vivacious matron i don't mean that he had a hooked nose or diagonal eyebrows or a cock's feather in his hat but he had a look of repressed power that almost frightened me i fancied he was a man who could do anything whether great or wicked by the sovereign force of his intellect and will but that was before his cousin died wealth has improved him wonderfully at last a clock in the corridor struck one viola gave a little scream of surprise kissed her dear lady chestunt for the twentieth time that night and tripped away she had gone halfway down the corridor when she stopped startled by a sight that moved her to scream louder than she had done just now at the striking of the clock had not some instinctive feeling of caution checked her a man a man of the vagabond or burglar species that very man who a few hours earlier had presented himself to rebecca at the lodge was in the act of leaving mrs penwin's dressing-room his back was turned to viola he looked neither to the right nor the left but crept along the corridor with stealthy yet rapid steps viola paused not a moment ere she pursued him her footfall hardly sounded on the carpeted floor but the flutter of her dress startled the intruder he looked at her and then dashed onward to the head of the staircase almost throwing himself down the shallow oak stairs the flying figure in its airy white robe closely pursuing him at the head of the stairs viola gave the alarm with a cry which rang through the silent house she was gaining upon the thief at the bottom of the stairs she had him in her grasp the two small hands clutching his greasy velveteen collar he turned upon her with a fierce oath would have struck her to the ground perhaps and marred her delicate beauty for ever with one blow of his iron fist had not the billiard-room door opened suddenly and mr penwin appeared sir lewis dallas a visitor staying in the house at his elbow what is the matter who is this man cried churchill while he and sir lewis hastened to viola's side and drew her away from the ruffian a thief a burglar gasped the excited girl i saw him coming out of my sister's dressing-room he has murdered her perhaps oh do go and see if she is safe churchill hold him lewis cried churchill and ran upstairs without another word sir lewis was tall and muscular an athlete by nature and art in his grip the marauder waited submissively enough till churchill returned breathless but relieved in his mind madge was safe madge did not even know that there was anything amiss thanks lewis he said quietly taking the intruder from his friend's hand as coolly as if he had been some piece of lumber go upstairs to your room vio and sleep soundly for the rest of the night added churchill to his sister-in-law i'll compliment you on your prowess to-morrow morning i don't think i could go to bed said viola shuddering there may be more burglars about the house i feel as if it was swarming with them like the beetles mills talks about in the kitchen nonsense child the fellow has no companions perhaps you'd be kind enough to see my sister as far as the end of the corridor lewis oh no cried viola quickly indeed i'm not frightened i don't want any escort and she ran upstairs so fast that sir lewis lost his opportunity of saying something sweet at the end of the corridor his devotion to the pretty miss bellingham was notorious and viola apprehended some soft speech perhaps the gentle pressure of her hand a fervid assurance that no peril should come near her while he watched beneath that roof and the portionless daughter of sir nugent bellingham was not wise enough in her generation to encourage this wealthy young baronet now you sir go in there said churchill pushing the gipsy into his study you needn't wait lewis i can tackle this fellow single-handed no i can't let you do that he may have a knife about him 
if he has i don't think he'll try it upon me i brought this from my dressing-room just now he pointed to the butt-end of a revolver lurking in the breast-pocket of his smoking-coat well i'll smoke a cigar in the billiard-room while you hold your parley with him i shall be within call sir lewis retired to enjoy his cigar and churchill went into his study he found that the burglar had availed himself of this momentary delay and was beginning to unfasten the shutters what you'd like to get out that way said the squire not till you and i have had our talk together let go that shutter if you please while i light the lamp he struck a wax match and lighted a shaded reading lamp that stood on the table now he said calmly be good enough to sit down in that chair while i overhaul your pockets there's nothing in my pockets growled paul prepared for his resistance isn't there then you can't object to have them emptied you'd better not be needlessly objective i've an argument here that you'll hardly resist showing the pistol and my friend who grappled you just now is ready to stand by me the man made no further resistance churchill turned out the greasy linings of his pockets but produced nothing except loose shreds of tobacco and various scraps of rubbish he felt inside the vagabond's loose shirt thinking that he might have hidden his booty in his bosom but with no result a cunning smile curled the corners of the scoundrel's lips a smile that told churchill to persist in his search come he said you've some of my wife's diamonds about you i saw the case open at half empty you were not in that room for nothing you shall strip to your skin my man but first off with that neckerchief of yours the man looked at him vengefully eyed the pistol in his captor's hand weighed the forces against him and then slowly and sullenly untied the rusty black silk handkerchief which encircled his brawny throat and threw it on the table something inside the handkerchief struck sharply on the wood i thought as much said churchill he untwisted the greasy wisp of silk whereupon his wife's collet necklace and the large single stone she wore in her ears fell upon the table churchill put the gems into his pocket without a word is that all he asked yes the man answered with an oath churchill looked at him keenly you will go straight from here to jail he said so concealment wouldn't serve you much you are a gypsy i think i am what brought you here to-night i came to see a relation here on these premises at the lodge the woman you've chosen for your lodge-keeper is my mother rebecca mason yes churchill took a turn or two up and down the room thoughtfully since you've been so uncommonly kind to her perhaps you'll strain a point in my favour said the gipsy i shouldn't have tried to rob you if i hadn't been driven to it by starvation it goes hard with a man when he has a wolf gnawing his vitals and stands outside an open window and sees a lot of women with thousands of pounds on their neck in the shape of blessed gems that do no more real good to any one than the beads our women bedizen themselves with and then he sees the old ivy roots are thick enough to serve for a ladder and the windows upstairs left open and handy for him to walk inside that's what i call temptation perhaps you were outside the good things of this world at some time of your life and can feel for a poor wretch like me i have known poverty answered churchill wondrously forbearing towards this vagrant and endured it yes but you hadn't to endure it for ever fortune was kind to you it isn't often a man drops into such a berth as this by a fluke you've got your property and you may as well let me off easily for my mother's sake 
you don't suppose your mother is more to me than any other servant in my employ said churchill turning upon him sharply yes i do you wouldn't go to the gypsy tents for a servant unless you had your reasons what should have brought you to ebersham to hunt for a lodge-keeper the mention of that fatal city startled churchill seldom was that name uttered in his hearing it was among things tabooed i'm sorry i can't oblige you by condoning a felony he said in his most tranquil manner as a justice of the peace any sentimentality on my part would be somewhat out of character the utmost i can do for you is to get the case heard without delay you may anticipate the privilege of being committed for trial to-morrow at noon at the petty sessions he left the room without another word and locked the door on his prisoner the lock was good and in excellent order the door one of those ponderous portals only to be found in old manor-houses and their like but mr penwin seemed to have forgotten the window which was only guarded on the inside he had shut one side of a trap ignoring the possibility of escape on the other he looked into the billiard-room before he went upstairs sir lewis dallas had finished his cigar and was slumbering peacefully stretched at full length on one of the divans like an uninterested member of the house of commons he's nearly as well off there as in his room so i won't interrupt his dreams thought churchill as he retired that shriek of viola's had awakened several of the household mills had heard it and had descended half-dressed to the corridor in time to meet miss bellingham on her way upstairs and to hear the history of the gypsy's attempt from that young lady mills had taken the news back to the drowsy housemaids had further communicated it to the startled footman who looked out of his half-open door to ask what was the row thus by the time the household began to be astir again between five and six next morning everybody knew more or less about the attempted robbery what have they done with the robber asked the maids and the odd man and boot-cleaner who alone among the masculine retainers condescended to rise at this early hour i think he must be shut up in master's study answered one of the women whose duty it was to open the house for the door's locked and i couldn't get in did you hear anybody inside asked the cook with keen interest not a sound he must be asleep i suppose the hardened villain to think that he can sleep with such a conscience as his and the likelihood of being sent to botany bay in a week or two botany bay has been done away with said the odd man who read the newspapers they'll send him no further than dartmoor four oh heaven that one might read the book of fate churchill penwin looked something the worse for that half-hour's excitement overnight when the manor-house party assembled at breakfast between eight and nine next morning the days began early at penwin and only lady cheshunt was guilty of that social malingering involved in a chronic headache which prevented her appearing on the dewy side of noon perhaps mr penwin's duties as host during the previous evening might have fatigued him a little he had a weary look in that bright morning sunshine a look of unrest as of one who had slept but little in the night hours madge glanced at him every now and then with half-concealed anxiety every change were it ever so slight in that one beloved face was visible to her i hope last night's business has not worried you love she said tenderly making some excuse for carrying him his breakfast-cup with her own hands the diamonds are safe and no doubt the man will be properly punished for his audacity churchill had told her all about the attempted robbery in his clear passionless way but not a word of that interview in the study between gentleman and vagabond 
madge merciful to all innocent sufferers had no sentimental compassion for this frustrated burglar but desired that he should be duly punished for his crime i am not particularly worried dear it was rather an unpleasant ending to a pleasant evening that is all they were still seated at the breakfast-table and sir louis dallas was still listening with rapt attention to viola's account of her feelings at the sight of the thief when the butler who had left the room a few minutes before in compliance with a whispered request from his subordinate re-entered solemn of aspect and full of that self-importance common to the craft the man has been taken again sir and is in the village lock-up he announced to his master churchill rose hastily taken again what do you mean i left him locked up in my study at two o'clock this morning yes sir but he unfastened the shutters and got out of the window and would have got clean off i dare say if tyrell the gamekeeper and his son hadn't been about with a couple of dogs on the lookout for poachers the dogs smelt him out just as he was getting over the fence in the pine wood and the tyrells collared him and took him off to the lock-up then and there he fought hard tyrell says and would have been almost a match for the two of em if it hadn't been for the dogs they turned the scale concluded the butler grandly imagine the fellow so near getting off exclaimed sir lewis i wonder it didn't strike you that he would get out at the window penwin you locked the door and thought you had him safe something like the painter fellow who went in for the feline species and cut two holes in his studio door a big one for his cat and a little one for her kitten forgetting that the little cat could have got through the big cat's door that's the way with you clever men you're seldom up to trap in trifles rather stupid of me i confess said churchill but i suppose i was a little obfuscated by the whole business one hasn't a burglar on one's hands every night in the week however he added slowly he's safe in the lock-up that's the grand point and i shall have the pleasure of assisting at his official examination at twelve o'clock are the petty sessions on to-day asked sir lewis warmly interested how jolly you don't mean to say that you take any interest in that sort of twaddle said churchill anything in the way of crime is interesting to me replied the young man and to assist at the examination of the ruffian who frightened miss bellingham will be rapture i only regret that the old hanging laws are repealed i don't feel quite so unmerciful as that said madge but i should like the man to be punished if it were only as an example it isn't nice to lose the sense of security in one's own house to be afraid to open one's window after dark and to feel that there may be a burglar lurking in every corner and to know that your burglar is your undeveloped assassin added sir lewis i've no doubt that scoundrel would have tried to murder us both last night if it hadn't been for my biceps and churchill's revolver the breakfast party slowly dispersed some to the ground some to the billiard-room every one had letters to write or some duty to perform but no one felt in the queue for performance nor could anybody talk of anything except the burglar viola's courage churchill's coolness in the hour of peril and carelessness in the matter of the shutters lady cheshunt required to have bulletins carried to her periodically while she sipped orange pekoe in the luxurious retirement of an arabian bed thus the morning wore on till half-past eleven at which time the carriage was ordered to convey mrs penwin miss bellingham and sir lewis dallas to the village inn attached whereto was the justice's room where mr penwin and his brother magistrate or magistrates were to meet in solemn assembly viola and sir lewis were wanted as witnesses 
mrs penwin went ostensibly to take care of her sister but really because she was acutely anxious to see the result of the morning's work that look of secret care in her husband's face had disturbed her looks which for the world at large meant nothing had their language for her she had studied every line of that face knew its lights and shadows by heart the day was lovely another perfect august day the shining faces of the reapers turned towards them as they drove past the golden fields broad peasant faces sun-browned and dewy with labour's honourable sweat all earth was gay and glad madge penwin looked at this fair world sadly heavy with a vague sense of secret care the skylark sang his thrilling joy notes high up in the blue vault that arched these golden lands and the note of rapture jarred upon the wife's ear i'm afraid we have been too happy churchill and i she thought and then recalled two lines of hoods full of deepest pathos for there is e'en a happiness that makes the heart afraid they had been utterly happy only a little while ago but since that confession of churchill's the wife's heart had been burdened with a secret grief and to-day she felt that hidden care keenly something in her husband's manner had suggested concealed anxieties fears cares which he could not or would not share with her if he did but know how loyal i could be to him she thought he would hardly shrink from trusting me viola was full of excitement and quite ferociously disposed towards the burglar i suppose to-day's business is only a kind of rehearsal she said gaily and that we shall have to give our evidence again at bodmin assizes and some pert young barrister on the western circuit will browbeat me and try to make me contradict myself and make fun of me and ask if i had put my hair in papers or had unplated my chignon when i ran downstairs after the burglar i should like to see him do it muttered sir lewis in a vengeful tone they were in penwin village by this time the old-fashioned straggling village two rows of cottages scattered apart on the wide high road a tiny methodist chapel in a field the pound the lock-up big enough for one culprit and the village inn attached to which there was the justice-room a long narrow upper chamber with a low ceiling all the inhabitants of penwin had turned out to see the great folks it was like an irish crowd children old women and young matrons with infants in their arms the children had just turned out from the pretty gothic schoolhouse which mr penwin had built for them they bobbed deferentially as their patroness descended from her carriage and a murmur of praise and love ran through the little crowd sweetest chorus to a woman's ear we ought to be happy in this fair land thought madge as her heart thrilled at the sight of her people it is like ingratitude to god to keep one secret care when he has blessed us so richly End of Volume 2, Chapters 3 and 4